Thank you for being here today to honor this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's really, that's the only reason we meet. We're not here to promote a church or a pastor or a band or anything else. We're here to promote Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He gave his life for us so that we might be saved, and he's worthy to be praised. And I'm very thankful that you came today. I want to talk to you today about uh, another foundation of our faith that's very important. We've been in this series called Foundations, and uh, over these weeks we've recognized that while the Bible is all true, there's truth in this Bible, we recognize that uh, God included the dietary laws in the Old Covenant under the people, and he put that there for us to understand and know. But that's probably not as vital a truth as what we just celebrated, the fact that Jesus died for our sins and uh, was raised from the dead and is coming again someday, right? So it's all true, it's all important, but there are some things that are absolutely foundational. And we've been looking at some of those foundations. In the first week of January, we talked about this foundation. It's one of the Alliance core values. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. He wants us to seek him. Call upon me, and I will answer you. He said through the prophet Jeremiah, call on me. And I will answer you. Wait a minute. It's not sinking into you guys. I can tell. You're not with me. <laughs> what does he want? You know. No. Listen. The God of the universe says, call to me. I will answer you. Now, sometimes we are not, I, I, that doesn't mean I ask for something, boom, he's like a genie, and you know, you rub the genie, and all of a sudden you've got whatever you ask. I'm saying there's perseverance in prayer. He answers according to his will. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. Sometimes I say, I'll just be with you. But what he says is, seek me, and I will answer you. That's one of the most tremendous promises in the Bible. Call to me, I'll answer you. You have a problem, come to me. Come to bring it to me. I'll be with you. I'll, I'll, I'll help you with it. Wow. And that's why prayer is the primary work. We have to pray and ask God. Secondly, we talked about everything we have belongs to God. We are his stewards. He owns everything. And, and if when we understand that everything we have has really been entrusted to us by God, that keeps us from being selfish owners and helps us to be generous givers. Of, of, of using the gifts he's called us to use. Uh, another one of the foundations is lost people matter to God. He wants them found. What, what is the characteristic of lostness? My keys are in my pocket. If they're not in my pocket, they're lost. In other words, they're not where they're supposed to be. I don't, if you don't know, how many of you lost your keys? It's, it's annoying. It's like they're lost. I got to find them. I got to find them. I mean, it's like... And God says people are lost. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be close to me. But their sin has driven them away. And I care for them. Go find them. <laughs> that's, a, that's one of the values. Last week we talked about knowing and obeying God's word is fundamental to all true success. In other words, we, we, we live according to this word. We need to know it. We need to obey it. And that's fundamental. Today... We're going to look at another foundation, another core, val uh, core value in the Christian Mission Alliance, and I think it's perhaps the most misunderstood, underappreciated, and often neglected foundation of our faith in many circles. And it simply says this, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. 
Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. Jesus himself said what? Without me, you can do nothing. Now, I know when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, things get uncomfortable. You know, uh, you seem like sometimes there's two extremes. Either people are bouncing off the walls and doing things that aren't in the Bible, or else you have this kind of dead service, and if somebody raises their hand, two ushers come and carry them out. You know, and, and there's all this guardedness against the work of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing. This was born out when, after his resurrection, let's just look back at history. Luke wrote, uh, was a companion of Paul, and he wrote an account of Jesus' life. We have the Gospel of Luke in the Bible. We also have the book of Acts. And both at the end of the book of Luke and at the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke gives us some details about what happened when Jesus was on earth after his resurrection. For instance, he tells us that it was a period of 40 days. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he was on earth 40 days. He appeared to his disciples. It says that he talked to them about the kingdom and the kingdom work he wanted them to do. He told them to to wait in Jerusalem, okay? But if I was one of the uh, disciples, here's what I think Jesus should have said, okay? (laughs) Um, He would have said something like this if it was according to me. Listen, guys. You walked with me for three years. You saw I was crucified. You knew I died. And you see me alive today. Now I want you to go and be witnesses. So as soon as I'm taken up to heaven, get out there. Start in Jerusalem. Go. Go make disciples. Get going. That's what I think he would say. You're ready. But look at what he actually said to them just before he ascends to heaven. And Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus says, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus, in effect, says, you're not ready. Think about that. Didn't, I, we walked with Jesus for three years. We saw him crucified, dead, buried. He raised from the dead. And we're watching him as he's taken up to heaven, and he says, you're not ready yet. That's not enough. You can't just have information about me. You need power from me. So you have to wait for the promise of the Father. And I I thought of just one of the promises of the Old Testament in the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. And God says, I'm going to put a new heart in you. Speaking of the new covenant, a day will come where it won't be just about keeping the laws, trying to do it in your flesh. I'm going to put a new heart in you. And then he says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And Jesus says, that is what you need. You need power that comes from the Holy Spirit. We just passed the 10th anniversary of the miracle on the Hudson. Many of you remember that on January 15th, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549, an Airbus A320, piloted by Chelsea Sullenberger, known as Sully, I'm just going to call him Sully, took off from New York City's LaGuardia Airport. Shortly after takeoff, it was struck by a flock of Canadian geese. It lost power in both of its engines. Unable to reach any airport, uh, Sully piloted and glided the the plane down into a ditch landing in the Hudson River. And all 155 people on board were rescued by nearby boats. I want to tell you the Airbus A320 is an awesome machine. 
It's got a lot of systems in it. And it's designed to fly. But when the engines don't work, it can't do what it was designed to do. And in a similar manner, God says, listen, I've saved you. I've made you into a new creation. But you cannot do what I want you to do without my power. You need my power. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This might be nitpicking the text a little bit, but Jesus didn't say you are going to witness for me. He didn't say it that way. He said you will be my witnesses. And it reminds me that the coming of the Holy Spirit, the power we need is always to make us be something first. And out of that being, we then are able to witness and so forth. So first and foremost, the Spirit's power is given so that we can be who he wants us to be. And that's what he told the disciples, Jesus, before he was crucified. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. See, Another of the same kind, the Greek text means. Another one like me. He is a helper. He is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He's saying you need the Holy Spirit in you, the helper, an advocate, a counselor. He, he's a person. He's not an it. It's not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he is going to be in you. Friends, I want to think about something. When I was just thinking about this message, I was drawn to this phrase out of Hebrews, where it says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Remember that verse? It's in Hebrews chapter 2. But I thought of that term, so great a salvation. And I don't think we really comprehend just how great a salvation God wants to give to us, how great it is. How powerful it is, the extent of it. So I'm going to tell you today, whether you like it or not. So just, in, you know, just hang in there. But listen, I hope this isn't like too theological for you. But I just want you to see how great God's salvation is. God is triune. He's one God, but he's a God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Don't try to understand that. I can't understand that. I just, I accept it by faith. I don't know exactly how that works out. But he is one God, eternally existent in three persons. And our salvation, under the umbrella of our salvation, I want you to picture our salvation, past, present, and future. And let me show you what I mean. We usually think of salvation only as something in the past. Okay? In the past, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That happened 2,000 years ago. Many of you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when you did, that happened sometime in the past. Okay? Maybe some of you need to receive him today. I point you to him. But most of us in this place have received Jesus Christ at some point in their life. So when that happened in your life, you were justified. That's a past action. God declared you to be righteous. And you might say, well, wait a minute. How can he say I'm righteous? I'm not righteous. I know I'm not righteous either. But he does it through imputation. 
He takes the righteousness of Christ and when through your faith, because you believe in Jesus, he credits Christ's righteousness to your account. So he declares you righteous, not because you are righteous, but because Christ is righteous and you believe in him. And so God credits that to you. That's awesome. That's awesome, folks. And we have been therefore saved from sin's penalty. In other words, the wages of sin is what? Death. Physical death, spiritual death. We have no hope of being with God. And through salvation in Christ, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Romans 8, 9 says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he doesn't belong to God. He's not a Christian. But the, the penalty of sin, there's no, therefore now no condemnation for those, what? Who are in Christ. But listen, his salvation doesn't stop there. That's what we talk about most of the time, is the need to have our sins forgiven. But there's a present outworking of our salvation. God has something else for us. He wants us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to live a new life now. He doesn't want to just keep you from going to hell and then just try to live this life on earth, you know, the best you can as a Christian. He says, no, you need help for that. You can't do that either. I want to give you the Holy Spirit. And so we are currently being sanctified. We are being made righteous. The Spirit is working in us. And as we yield to him, he makes us more and more in practice what we are in standing before him. Does that make sense? In other words, he declares us righteous in the past when we accepted him, but now he's trying to make us righteous. He's, he's helping us to be more and more like Jesus as we yield to him. And because he wants us to be saved from the power of sin. You've been saved by the, from the penalty of sin, but now he doesn't want you to go around doing the same things and being enslaved to the same passions, lust, anger, hatred, unforgiveness. He doesn't want you to keep living that way. He wants to give you power so that you can live a new life. But it doesn't stop there. There's a future. In the future, we will be glorified. We will be glorified. We will be righteous. We won't just be declared righteous. We won't be becoming righteous. We will be righteous. Oh, you're not with me. Let me put it this way. Can you imagine never having an evil thought again? In other words, it won't be just Christ's righteousness you're clothed with, yes, but he will make us. He's gonna, he who began a good work in us, is what, what's he going to do? He's going to finish it. When we're in glory, we won't even be able to sin I can't even fathom going through a day where I don't have some sin, either of omission or commission, something I don't do that I should not have done or should have done or something I, never mind, I can't even say it. You know what I'm saying. I can't imagine what that's going to be like, but it's going to be glorious. Because God is not only wants to save us from the penalty of sin, he not only wants to save us from the power of sin in this life, someday he wants to save us from the presence of sin. It won't even be around. Oh, it's going to be glory. Heaven's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. I, I feel for you. If you think heaven's boring, it will, it will take eternity. I can't even think of eternity. But we'll be praising God. Thank you for this salvation. Thank you for what you've done. I can't believe I'm here. 
<laughs> some, some other people might say, I don't believe you're there either. How'd you get here? <laughs> Listen, brothers and sisters, Christianity is not simply about what God has done for us in the past. He has more for us than that. He has something for us right now. He wants us to have the Holy Spirit so that we don't keep living a defeated life. Francis Chan wrote a book called Forgotten God, and the subtitle is Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. He writes this, I want to see God move through me. I refuse to live the remainder of my life where I am right now, stagnating at this point. Don't get me wrong, God has already done so much in my life and I'm grateful for it. I'm just convinced there's more. There's more of the Spirit and more of God than any of us is experiencing. I want to go there, not just intellectually, but in life with everything I am. There's just a longing in us to say, Isn't, is this it? Is, it, is this all there is that I just, you know, we receive Christ and then we just kind of live in this, yeah, there's some good things, but, but I kind of struggle with the same stuff. I keep making the same mistakes. I keep doing the same sins. There's a sense that we will always battle sin on some level, okay? I'm not saying we're going to uh, not do that. But there's something in us that says there's more. I, I want more. I, I want to come to church and I just I want to experience God and I want to be close to God. Well, there is more. The Bible says that if you and I are hungering for more of God, there's some steps we can take. And this is what the Bible prescribes. First of all, we are to recognize your need. Sometimes we don't even recognize that something's wrong. We're just willing to put up with life the way it is and we just figure, well, that's the way it is, you know? But there's something wrong. Recognize your need. When we become Christians, we generally become new creations. There's something in our heart that God does. But that does not mean we automatically experience a life of holiness and a changed life. The old nature was not eradicated. It's still present in us. God does something new in our hearts, but my old flesh, my old stinking lousy flesh, I'm going to put it that way, it's still there. The impure thoughts are there. Strife, jealousies, anger, rivalries, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, pride, drugs, alcohol abuse. And there's sometimes I feel like there's a I don't have every one of those, okay? I'm just saying that I have my share. And every one of them is bad. Every one of them is bad. If it controls your life, even just a, a lack of hunger for God, we don't say, hey, you're out, you go, well, I'm not taking the drugs, I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff. But there's like no hunger for God in your life. And you think, is that the way we're supposed to live? Something's wrong. My flesh never wants to follow God. I, in my flesh, I'm never going to, when I sit down to pray, it's not because I want to do, it's got to be the influence of the Spirit. You with me? It's like my flesh doesn't want to do that. My flesh doesn't want to preach. My flesh doesn't want to get out of bed sometimes. My flesh, uh, but in a spiritual sense, I don't have the desire to follow God in myself. 
My flesh just doesn't. And there's like a civil war that goes on sometimes in your heart. The right, uh, Paul to the Galatians said this, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. See, a lot of times as Christians, we want to do better. Sometimes. But we just can't. But listen, the default setting is our flesh. I hate that it is, but if you don't believe that, wait till the next time somebody cuts you off in the car. (laughs) Your first words are not, oh, Lord, bless them. (laughs) You know, they're not a great driver, but you know what? I know you love them. I make mistakes sometimes. You don't do that. After you get done with the horn, you got your little steamy attitude going on. Ask me how I know. (laughs) don't ask me I said oh I did say ask me (laughs) I didn't mean for you to actually do that and Paul had this struggle too this isn't unique the apostle Paul had it he wrote this in Romans 7 he says I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature for I have the desire to do what is good but I cannot carry it out for what I do is not the good I want to do no The evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he finally concludes, there's no human answer, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has an answer for living that kind of life. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, I'm sending you the helper. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. It's actually better if I go away because he's going to come and live inside you and he can help you. Well, how does that work? I believe that once you recognize this struggle like Paul did and say, look, I, I hate this. There's a coming to the end of yourself and you say, I just can't do this, God. I can't live for you the way I'm supposed to live. And you come and you present yourself to God. There's humility in that. God, please help me. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to live one way in church and then go out and laugh at all the dirty jokes at work as if, as if that's just what I'm supposed to. I don't want to live this duplicitous life anymore. I need your, but I need your power. I'm out there and I just, listen, I've been there too. Romans 6.13 says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as instruments for righteousness. God, I want to, I present myself to you, please come and help me. And the help he gives, friends, is the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the next step. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Isn't it interesting? I love the Bible. Who would have used getting drunk as an illustration in the Bible? (laughs) But it's a perfect one. Paul says when a person gets drunk, they start taking in alcohol. They yield themselves to alcohol or to drugs or whatever it is. As they yield to that, the drugs or the alcohol start to control them. 
They lose control of themselves. They start acting in ways that they wouldn't normally act. They start to say things that they don't normally say. And until that alcohol wears off, uh, they become sober. And then if they wanted to get drunk again, what do they have to do? They have to drink again. Now, Paul says, don't do that. Don't have that pattern in your life. Don't use alcohol. Don't use drugs. That's going to lead you to bad places. But in a similar manner, yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. When something comes up in your life that isn't, Lord, this unforgiveness isn't right. This animosity I have toward my brother isn't right. This lack of desire for you isn't right. I yield this to you. I can't handle it. I can't get around it. I can't fix it. God, I yield to you. Now come and fill me with your spirit. Control me. Produce in me, Holy Spirit, what I can't produce for myself. You know? And then, and he comes and he fills. And he produces fruit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? He produces love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. So, in other words, when you're angry, God, I yield this anger to you. Please help me with it. Fill me with now. Come and fill me with your peace. Bring gentleness to my spirit. Listen, guys, we need this. This is the way God has given us his Spirit to help us. We can't quench the spirit by just ignoring the, if you never ask him for that kind of, if this isn't part of your day, you're missing what God has for you because he has more for you. He wants to give you grace every day. He wants to make you more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. He wants to help us, but it comes through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And Christ lives his life out through us. Paul would say at one point, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That sounds like words of surrender. I'm crucified. I, God, I surrender. I surrender my life. I surrender my will. I surrender everything to you. Come fill me. Produce in me things that only you can produce. Recognize your need. The Holy Spirit can break sinful habits, friends. He can break racism. He can break pornography. He can break jealousy. He can break pride, negativity, gossip, critical spirit. How many of us just go around with a negative outlook on life? And there's a negativity to us, a pessimism. Just, is that what God has for the believer in Jesus Christ? Is that the way we're supposed to live? Doesn't God, listen, his salvation is greater than that, folks. He says, surrender to me. I'll help you. I'll fill you with my love. I'll give you the fruit of the Spirit. Friends, I believe that the church of Jesus Christ needs the Holy Spirit desperately. And not only recognize our need and present ourselves to God and be filled, but lastly, I believe this, we are to serve God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Or just, this has the idea of walking in the Spirit. As we submit to Christ and as he fills us, we get into a pattern of walking with God. That becomes more and more our default setting. Hey, you recognize this anger. I know what this is. This is my stinky, ugly flesh. Don't look at me. You got one too. We, got, we all got stinky, ugly flesh. It wants what it wants, when it wants it, and don't wrong me. 
But the more we get into a pattern of yielding, we start to walk in the Spirit. He starts to supply us with power and grace to overcome these. Yes, we'll fall, but when we do, we confess it and we come to Him. I want to just leave you with one more scriptural example of this, of serving God in the power of the Spirit. It comes from the Apostle Paul. He wrote these words to the Corinthians. He said, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I love that. I take this to mean that Paul didn't try to wow people with his preaching. He didn't try to put together some powerful rhetorical argument and come in like some motivational speaker. He said, no, I didn't do that. I didn't try to manipulate you. You know what I did? I came and humbly preached Christ. And then he just trusted the Holy Spirit to empower the message of Christ. As Christ was lifted up, he says, I'll just let the Spirit... Because I don't want anybody's faith built on a personality. Isn't that a plague of the church today? We're personality-driven, talent-driven, program-driven. I love our worship band. But listen, what are, there's some country church somewhere with some... Uh, Forgive me, old lady. (laughs) And she's trying to crank out a few hymns today. And she's missing notes. And then you've got our band. And God looks down at that 78-year-old woman who says, Jesus, I love you, and I'm just going to play today. I I don't have much. I'm not the greatest piano player, but I'm just going to play and the people are going to sing and we're going to worship you. Do you think God's not honored in that? Nobody will go to their church for the music. We don't need... I love good music, but that's not the biggest need of the church. I love to preach. But preaching isn't the biggest need of the church. It's important. But it's only important as it gets us to God. Gets us to think of God. Gets us more of his spirit, more of his work. Friends, we need more of God. There's an old poem that uh, I heard many, many years ago. The words are dated, but it's so so true. I wrote it down. I actually... uh, it was from a message I heard from a pastor. I, had, I got it on cassette tape. <laughs> you guys remember what cassette tapes are? Yeah, well, some of you may know. But I, I transcribed it off of that. There was no internet when I got this, and I couldn't look up the words on it. That's how we used to do things way back when, in the dark ages. We used to have to write things down like that. But I wrote this poem down, and I've never lost it. It was written by Samuel Stevenson, and he writes this. A city full of churches, great preacher, lettered men, grand music, choirs, and organs. But if these all fail, what then? Good workers, eager, earnest, who labor hour by hour. But where, oh where, my brother, is God's almighty power? Refinement, education, they want the very best. Their plans and schemes are perfect. They give themselves no rest. 
They get the best of talent. They try their uttermost. But what they really need, my brother, is God the Holy Ghost. It is the Holy Spirit that quickeneth the soul. God will not take man's worship nor bow to man's control. No human innovation, no skill or worldly art can give a true repentance or break the sinner's heart. We may have human wisdom, grand singing, great success. There may be fine equipment, but these things do not bless. God wants a pure, clean vessel, anointed lips and true, people filled with the Spirit to speak his message through. That's all he wants. He wants to do it. He wants us to stop our striving. Stop our trying. Stop pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. And say, God, come and fill me. Make me into the new person you want me to be. Uh, Worship team, would you come? (coughs) He wants to make us like Christ. I'm going to sing a song uh, for you. It was written, the words were written by our founder, A.B. Simpson, Albert Benjamin Simpson. He wrote these words in the, I believe, the late 1800s, early 1900s. But I want you to hear his heart along this line. Please read the words as I sing. I'll try to sing it. I get kind of emotional. Have you noticed? Um, and it's, the, it's the, the message touches me, but this is a man who loved God, who was a very gifted preacher and teacher. But as you, as you hear these words, hear his heart, and then we'll just sing together and pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, but this is called, I Want to Be Holy.
Yeah. 